Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Ethan, Jeremy, and Matt from Sophisticated Cerberus Games. These guys have recently completed a very successful campaign on Kickstarter for their debut title, The Stifling Dark. Gentlemen, welcome to The Binge. How you doing? Great. Good. Yeah, thank you for having us. Oh, it's great to have you. Did I get the name right? Close? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People that know me know that I absolutely butcher names and company names. So those are, uh, there should be almost like a where's Waldo of going through all the back episodes and picking out what my uh, my hit rate is on actually saying names accurately. I, it's got to be hopefully at least uh, less than 10% error rate. But uh, thank you for letting me uh, do the the practice up front there phonetically of how to pronounce your name. We're, let's start there. Where did this name come from? Well, the name is kind of, uh, it kind of has to do with the three of us. So uh, Cerberus is a three-headed dog. There's three of us and uh, we all kind of like the mythology around it. So um, and we, we kind of, we kind of each took one of the dogs and one of the heads and kind of personalized it to us on our, our, our logo. They're all wearing something different. So, uh, I got um, it. yeah. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, was there like a number of names you guys thought about when you were trying to come up with a name or did this one, like where the sophisticated part come from? Like, we, like, how did you guys go through the whole ideation of this? <laughs> sure. Um, I could take this one. Uh, we had quite a few names, um, I think we started with like a, a Google sheet with like a bunch of bulleted lists. So we had like 30 of them or something at the start. Um, and eventually what it came down to was picking between the three of us, picking our like top 10, five, something like that, whittling it down. And then we ran it past friends and stuff. Um, and then we, and then we realized we have to check which names already exist as companies. Oh, yeah. uh, so there were, there were, there were definitely shorter names that we were going to go with, but they were all taken. Uh, so we kind of landed on sophisticated serverless games, um, and that wasn't taken. So we're like, all right, let's, let's make it happen. It's amazing how many times like people will do like a name idea, even a name for a game even. Right. And, uh, they don't go through that first step is, is this taken? Right. And you can do searches in terms of, uh, go on, like say trademark, you right. And do a trademark search, go on a uh, board game geek. That'll give you a good indication. We had a game recently where, we had a name that we thought was really great until we did a search on board game geek and found like six other games with the same name. Uh, so do that kind of a search. Um, and, uh, even the URL, right. Uh, doing a quick search mm -hmm. through like GoDaddy to see if the URL is, is available. Sometimes you'll find even that if, if your name is too obvious, maybe somebody hasn't taken it, but it's deemed as a premium URL and you're looking at the thousands in order to get the .com, Right. So these are all things that kind of come into play when you're, when you're picking your names. Where did you guys meet? Like, how did you guys kind of all get together to, you know, the to have the three of you here, you know, putting a game together? This, have you guys known each other for a long time or? Yeah, since uh, elementary school. So we oh. all went, well, actually, I guess not for Ethan. He came in later. But uh, <laughs> so Matt and I went to the same elementary school back in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, and then we went to middle school together along with Ethan. So that's where we met Ethan. Uh, so basically, we've known each other for probably, what, 15 15 to 20 years now, I'd say, all from Wisconsin. Uh, Matt and I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota now, and Ethan's uh, back in Appleton, although we're trying to get him to make his way over here at some point. So. <laughs> One day. Yep. And then, so when you're all different locations, how do you guys 
like play and play test? Is it is all virtual tabletop simulator? Like how have you uh, approached gaming? Yeah, so we actually, I mean, we formed the company back in uh, 2020. So even if we really wanted to get together, it wasn't really the time for it. So um, we did a lot of our playtesting on Tabletop Simulator. Um, we got our entire game in there, and then we just meet on um, either like Discord or Mumble. Um, and uh, that's kind of how we talk. So it's, yeah, it's pretty much from the start we've been um, working virtually. Yeah. Now, there... You know, putting a game on the market, there's one thing to kind of design a game, right? But it's another thing to say, we're going to, you know, take this to market and, and try to produce it, right? What led you to that kind of decision um, to say, you know, the three of us are comfortable enough together that not only are we, you know, like hanging out together and, and playing games together, but we're willing to actually do a business together. Yeah. Um, so it kind of spawned from Jeremy and I originally were trying to create a game in Minneapolis and we were just like, cause I would host game nights every week yeah. and I was like, Hey, let's create a game. Um, and then we kind of hit a wall and Ethan was talking about this horror game uh, that he wanted to make just for like friends, kind of loosely D and D based role play style. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of started talking about it and I was like, you know, I'm already working on something with Jeremy. Like, why don't we. Like, let's take it to the next level. Let's try to make this an actual thing people can do just because I've been playing games for like, I don't know, since high school or earlier or something like that and just collecting some of the games. Like, I want to I want to put something out there. Let's get the three of us together and like actually make it happen. And Jeremy has a bunch of like business experience already. So that was amazing. Um, and, and so we decided to start from there and just started working on the game. And we're like, all right, let's, let's make it official. Let's form the company. So we went to the bank and, uh, put a deposit in a joint account and registered an LLC. Wow. Was there ever a time where you looked at this and said, you know, maybe we'll just pitch the game to other publishers that are already in existence or. We, so we had that conversation, um, but we also talked about like, we've, we did a lot of research around like the whole game design process before we got into this and before we decided to publish our own. Um, and we had been approached by a couple publishers along the way, actually. And thankfully we'd already talked to, had the discussion ahead of time about, we just want to keep this in house. So mm. once you publish it, you never know, like we were really dedicated to our theme of the game and the story we wanted to tell with it and kind of just get the experience to have our own game out there. And so we talked about it. We're like, it's much harder this way, right? Cause you have all the business stuff that's involved with that and the marketing and the customer service and the supply chain stuff. And so we talked about it quite a bit, but we decided in the end, like this, we have a really good clear vision for the game. We like what we're, what we have here. So let's just stick with it and go through the whole process ourselves. So you'd mentioned uh, having some business experience in the team. Maybe we'll we'll start at the top. Um, can you guys tell us kind of what each of you do for a living? Like what's your, uh, maybe Matt, we'll start off with you. Like what's your day job? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a software engineer by day, oh, cool. um, which which doesn't really have much to do with board games. But at the same time, uh, computer science and just doing lots of like computations and stuff uh, kind of lends itself pretty well to game design because when you get to balancing and like, figuring out uh, how many turns you can get something done and you can kind of write some of that stuff to automate it and like try to break, break things. And just men like mentally, you can just do some of that work too. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's what I do by, by day. Um, but it's nice to do something more hands-on after you're done looking at the computer. Right. And you get to really use something tactile. Yeah. For and, me, uh, uh, Ethan, what, what's yours? Yeah. So I actually, back when we formed the company, I was working as an electrician helper. So I was 
Um, I was working in a prefab shop for a while, and then I went down to Georgia to um, work at a plant down there. And I had to kind of step away for a little bit because I was working crazy hours. But um, then I came back and I decided to go back to school. So I'm actually going for uh, computer science right now. Oh, wow. Two of you in computer science. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Jeremy, what's uh, what's your what's your job? Yeah, I'm in data analytics, so somewhat adjacent, not super close, but still dealing with technology. And so uh, I've supported a couple of business areas over the year, one one of them including supply chains. So that's where I got a lot of my kind of supply chain knowledge and how mm-hmm. to work with the fulfillment companies and the manufacturers and stuff like that. So kind of all of our experiences came together really nicely to help with uh, kind of the more technical side of game design. And then our hobbies over the year, playing games, we've all played games for a very, very long time. So yeah. um, that combination of our previous like hobby experience with our work experience worked out really well. What was some of the surprises I would, I would say like that you found coming into this that were maybe things that you didn't expect from kind of the business side of, of bringing a game to market that that was kind of a, a shock to you or even a surprise. Um, I think I would say the biggest thing, I don't know if this is really counts as a surprise that much, but uh, like when we were, you know, kickstarting, there's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's, you have to really prepare um, everything and like the game and the business side. um, There's, there's a lot to get ready before that. Um, And we even thought like, okay, we've done a ton of work, a ton of prep work um, and try to get as prepared as we could. Um, And even that was, we, (laughs) we learned a lot from it and going into the next one, uh, we know a lot of the places where we kind of need to improve and get more ready uh, beforehand. So I, I would say the biggest thing is just making sure everything is, you've got everything done, everything as much as done as possible, basically. What were some of the things you didn't have ready, would you say? Um, I think uh, we did some shuffling with like um, deciding which stretch goals we really wanted to make sure were in there and which weren't, um, which we thought, you know, weren't as as important and which, you know, didn't necessarily like contribute as much. So I would say that was probably part of it um there was a lot of like just social media like um management just really being on top of that um that i think we you know we kind of we got into it as we went along but that's that's a lot right up front that you got to do a lot of learning for yeah for sure and then was there anything that uh the other guys that surprised you coming in or were were kind of uh big learnings Oh, um, definitely a lot of learnings. I mean, uh, like I know for our Kickstarter video, I was like, did a lot of, uh, like learning how to put together video edits. Like Ethan did all the rendering and he learned how to use Blender and so did Jeremy. Uh, mm. and I just never did. It's a great video, by the way. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we all worked really hard on it. Uh, so it was really fun to just, you know, play around with sound. I'm really big into like making atmospherics and like having things sound good with the scenes. So I, I did a lot of learnings there. Um, and that was really fun. Um, but yeah, I said that was my biggest like self learning that I did. Uh, company learning, it was uh, definitely like figuring out how to run an event is, or you know go to a Gen Con or Origins. It is uh, it is a lot of work, and you definitely need a lot of people to help out unless you want to be just a zombie at the end of the day. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy, Jerry. What about for you, Jeremy? I think the 
Ethan Matt covered a lot of it. I think the biggest thing I would say is the taxes side of it. So we, and mm-hmm. obviously we knew this going into it, right? But, and we tried to do as much research as we could about, okay, we need to register in this place based on this sales tax nexus or this place based on us physically being there. But it's still, and we have an accountant and everything, but it's still just the most, I think, nebulous part of all this because there's so much resources out there for game design or for how to do a Kickstarter, how to do this or that. But tax advice, uh, rightfully so, is is not a whole, there's not a whole lot of people writing blogs about how to file your taxes, right? Yeah. Um, for your specific scenario. So that's been probably the most challenging thing. I think we've, because there's so much we can do with manufacturing, fulfillment, and social media and Kickstarter, but that's the area that I think has the least amount of resources out there uh, to like kind of self-teach. And so you're really dependent on your accountant to make sure that you have all this stuff in the right place. You're following in all the right locations. So from a business standpoint, that was definitely probably, and still is probably the most challenging part of all this. Yeah. When you're talking about um, uh, stretch goals, uh, Ethan, and kind of coming up with the right ones, um, you know, part of the challenge there is, is, is forecasting properly, right? Because you want to have a stretch goal that gets you to stretch, not something you're going to automatically hit on day one or day two, but not something that's so far out. You're constantly chasing stretch goals and it looks like your campaign is not doing as well as you anticipated. What was your forecast going into this campaign? Well, we, we pretty much made as many stretch goals as we thought was like, we had like, sky high dreams stretch goals basically you know and we were like we're just going to prepare prepare for every scenario possible um so i think i mean i think we had stretch goals up to like five hundred thousand, um just in case like just in case there was there was the possibility that we get up there um but we also knew that that was you know not probably not the most realistic in the world um but i i tried not to go into it too much with like expectations of where we're going to end up uh because i i just as long as we hit the funding goal and we made this thing a reality then i was going to be happy um i because it's so hard to tell when you're beforehand there's just no way to really know um so i would say you know the biggest thing is just prepare for every possible scenario was there any uh, stretch goals that you had set that you didn't hit that you've included anyways, or is it pretty much like if we didn't hit it, we're not doing it? Um, I'm trying to think if there were any that we put in there. Um, I mean, I think we got all the ones that were most important to us. I mean, yeah. we wanted we wanted to have three adversaries. We put those up, you know, like pretty much as as early on as possible, um, and like you know, we were like halfway through the campaign, I think when we got our last adversary ish. Um, and so that one was like super important. So we made sure that we were going to hit that one. Sure. Um, same with like the maps, um, the second map. Um, but as far as anything that, um, that we just hit anyways, I, I don't think so. I think we hit everything that we really wanted. Um, there were some other like nice stuff, like we really wanted to have game trays as well, but that was also kind of uh, like, this is going to be really expensive. So, yeah. you know, we really have to have that number to be able to do it, you know? Um, yeah. So. So the stifling dark, I'm going to show on screen here for people that haven't seen what we're talking about. And we'll use a scriptive language for people that are listening. First of all, congrats, guys. Uh, this was a very successful campaign. I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars. It's the only way I can see it. But $220,500, 3,800 backers plus. Uh, that That's just, I mean, good on you guys. For your very first campaign, your first uh, title, 
that is incredible. And we're going to talk in a couple moments about maybe some of the things you did to help ensure success. But before we get there, perhaps you can give us kind of a quick overview of what this game is about. I do want to focus in on this really cool kind of flashlight mechanism you have in the game because I hadn't seen it before and I thought it worked out really well when I was able to kind of see this in person at Origins. Uh, who wants to take the mantle and just talk about the game as a whole? Yeah, um, I can definitely I can definitely do that. So uh, as a whole, you know, at a high level, it's a one player versus many players game with hidden movement. So we've got like a, a DM screen essentially. And there's a mini map, which is just like a small board that is an exact replica of like the main game board. Mm -hmm. um, and that that adversary player, that one person, uh, they're going around trying to hunt down the paranormal investigators, essentially. Um, and each one has very different play styles and they're trying to um, stop like or, or sort of hunt down a certain number of them um, and achieve their own goals. And then the investigators are looking for evidence uh, throughout the map. There's these things like buildings and zones that they had to find it in. Um, and essentially, we have these flashlight templates that go on the board and cover like circular spaces. And we've got a line of sight mechanic where if you like, you can draw a line through that space without going through like a gray bordered obstacle, uh, then you have line of sight to it. Um, and you can, you can also find the adversary that way to like have the adversary pop out on the main map, uh, kind of have little jump scares, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, then once they find enough of that, they have to pick an escape route. Um, and, and those are kind of uh, semi-random and that we have like two variants of two primary ones. And then you can also try to uh, stop which adversary you're facing. So like the butcher, for example, you have to like go find his grave and like exhume the grave and set it on fire and stuff. Uh, and then you can go try to uh, hunt down the butcher himself. Well, that's super cool. And on this grid where you have these different numbers, um, and I, w I wasn't, it wasn't evident to me uh, just in this kind of thumbnail, but how did, so when the flashlight shines on like a certain area and you see like the numbers that fall and it's like a translucent, um, I guess it's like a light bulb shape is the best way to describe it for people who are listening. And it's got like a kind of yellow translucent color to it. So you can see through it. So you can see the grid underneath it. How do you know then which things you're kind of illuminating under that grid? Is there like a reference sheet or something or? Uh, no, this is basically what you can see. So we want to make it very quick and easy to see. Okay. I, I put my flashlight down. I can see these spaces right off the bat. So there's two rules. Uh, you have to fully cover the circle with your flashlight template. So if yep. there's like a little part of the space peeking out from underneath that template, you can't see that space that's out. And then there are lines printed on top of the flashlight that kind of angle outwards from where you're kind of like to emanate a flashlight beam, essentially. Mm. Um, and then if, as long as that line can be traced through a space without going through an obstacle, then you can see the space. So you put it down and you can very quickly see, okay, I've got, I'm shining it through a wall. I can't see anything. Or there's like a truck halfway through. So everything past that truck is blocked. And so it's a really quick way to see kind of, and, and to simulate real life flashlight behavior that you can see, okay, I see these five spaces in front of me, but I can't see the ones that are like outside my flashlight kind of arc or beyond some sort of obstacle. Got it. And you guys rendered all these yourselves in Blender? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I didn't know anything about Blender before this. Yeah. I had to, uh, I had to learn the whole thing uh, for the video and then, uh, and then, yeah, so it was just kind of an intense couple of weeks of learning and put everything together. That would have taken me months. <laughs> <laughs> That is, uh, is for people who are there watching, uh, well done. Uh, that it looks super high end. So good for you guys on that. Thank you. 
So this this campaign uh, obviously did very well for you. What were some of the things you did to uh, ensure your success? I, before you actually get there, how long has this game been in development, this specific game? Yeah, uh, like three years now. Three years, okay. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit over that, but yeah, pretty much three years. So basically when you guys registered, did you have a working prototype at that point or did you register your LLC and you went and started creating the game? Yep. Uh, We had the idea. We talked about it for like two weeks. Uh, It didn't look anything like this at all. And we can go into that later if you want. It was, it's pretty entertaining actually. Some of our original flashlight ideas and just map ideas. But yeah, so we just registered the LLC after talking about like the concept and then started, started developing. That's cool. And so what were some of these ideas you had on the flashlights? Because, I mean, what you have here is pretty innovative. And we're going to talk in a couple moments about some of the other innovative stuff I saw, even at the show that you guys have coming. Um, but what were, like, obviously you went through a lot of trial and error on this. What were some of the things that you didn't pursue for the flashlight idea? Um, yeah. So basically, to we wanted something with line of sight and didn't even start with flashlights. Um, actually kind of we're figuring out like maybe we have like zones kind of like uh, I think it's Tannhauser or something and a few other games do it where you have like colored spaces and if you're in that space you can see everything of that same color um, and like some spaces you can see like different colors um, we, we tossed that idea around we had like maybe you go into rooms but that made it very like congested and you didn't have a lot of freedom of, of what you could see uh, so then we went to like a D&D grid which was squares and <laughs> flashlights were like squares Mm. Um, and we actually thought we were going to stick with that route because it was the best thing we could think of at the time. Uh, and then I can't remember how, how the, the more loose flashlight and much more free flashlight idea came about, but I think just lots of thinking every night. It was just like working with pen and paper and just drawing stuff out. Um, and then she's like, Oh my gosh, here's a great idea. And I think it'll work great. So then we tried it out and it was so much better. And we're like, how did we think of this like six months ago? And you just go to the local dollar store, grab some acetate and kind of cut it into shape. Is that um, pro typer? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> did you have any issues with the manufacturer? Like, how did you describe this to the manufacturers? Because I know from my experience, anytime you come up with, we had this with our quad layer boards on uh, Cities of Venus, trying to explain that to the manufacturer. Um, it was literally me cutting out piece of paper on this end gluing together videoing how i was putting it together and, and and working with it to help them understand what i was i was trying to envision did you have to go through that at all or was it pretty straightforward yeah it was kind of like that so we first said flashlight and I, at first i thought we meant an actual physical flashlight that like shined a light and so it, it took a while to kind of get through like exactly what we're talking about so we started saying like acrylic template but then it still didn't quite catch on and so um, I think we ended up doing what you said, like we, I, so I have a 3d printer, so we ended up 3d printing some once we had kind of gotten the, the right shape and everything. So 3d printed when I found some translucent filament that wasn't nearly as translucent as I was hoping it would be. So it was very, very thin, but, yeah. um, I ended up doing that. I just hopped on Skype with them and showed them the actual piece and said, okay, here's what we want. We sent them the STL file for it. And so it, it was a lot of back and forth but once we actually physically showed them on video and sent them the file yeah. uh, and i think we did like a recording from t for tabletop simulator as well but once we gave them that kind of real experience with it then it, it kind of clicked like okay this is what you want and we started talking through the various ways to manufacture whether it's like injection molding or blade cutting or whatever it was um but it, it definitely took a little bit of back and forth before we got there and would you guys go with blade cutting or injection molding we did blade cutting because injection molding we had to have that kind of like I forget what they call it, the little 
piece from the from the mold that goes in there. Um, I forget yeah. what that's called, but now it's a nice solid acrylic piece. Um, so there's no like any those are like defects with it and or with on the flashlight itself. So what were some of the marketing things that you guys did to uh, build your audience for this? How did you guys again two hundred thousand? Uh, anybody that's jumping in, you're not hitting those numbers unless you have your your stuff together, right? Like you, you got to be well planned going in to hit those kind of numbers on on game number one. So what did you guys do specifically? Yeah, so the first, I mean, the first most important thing is we went to conventions. Uh, so I think our first convention was Protospiel in uh, Minneapolis. Um, nice. And the we were collecting emails there. That's uh, that's extremely important. Email is like the number one way to, you know, keep in contact with people who are interested in the game. Yeah. Um, and so we started, that was the first thing we did to start building our email list. Um, and then we went to Origins and Gen Con um, and we were showing off the game at that point. Um, and I believe over the course of that, um, oh, and Con of the North as well, actually. Uh, but uh, over the course of that year, basically like the year leading up to uh, us kickstarting, we started running Facebook ads um, and just kind of a real like low budget Facebook ads, um, just kind of figuring out which ads are going to work the best um, and kind of slowly building up. Um, and then as we got to the campaign, I believe, uh, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think it was Backerkit that we went yep. with for our ads. Yeah. Um, yep. So we partnered with Backerkit and they ran, they ran our ads during the campaign, which was, I mean, huge, invaluable. Yeah. Did they do any pre-marketing for you or did they just kick in just when the campaign started? Uh, that was just during the campaign, I believe. So we did, we did the Facebook ads beforehand and then they kind of took over during the campaign. Yeah. And then you're obviously able to pass on some learnings from your testing that you had done to them saying, Hey, these particular ads worked better than the others and so forth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in terms of like building up uh, that email list, um, you know, this is the one thing I, I tell people is paramount, right? Like if you don't have that initial email list, it is, it's tough to build that audience going in. Um, Cause those are the ones you're going to keep following you along. Right. And they want to see your development. I'm sure you guys shared a lot of your development along the way. And then so people can feel like they're actually part of the process by the time it actually launches. Um, Certainly those ads, I'm sure, is what amplified your email list the most, I would think. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Were they lead um, gen ads or were they just like ads to like a splash page or how did you do your ads? Um, they uh, they went to our backer kit like pre-order or um, hmm. like uh, landing page. Yeah. Got um, it. So yeah, that's uh, and then people could sign up for our email list there as well. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't believe how many people, uh, at conventions will see like year after year, um, come back and be like, like we recognize them and like the, it's the people oh, from yeah. like way back. It's, it's super important. It's, it's very important to be there and start connecting immediately. Oh, absolutely. Um, what, so I, when I was at origins, I saw this really cool gear mechanism thing that you had, uh, on this mm. one title that you're working on looks super cool. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it yet. But can you talk about what's kind of next for you guys? Like what's what's next on deck after this game? Yeah. Um, yeah, so essentially we paired up with a local designer that we are actually going to publish uh, his game. Um, and his name is Ananda. Um, and, and we're going to help him get, get his game across the finish line and get it on Kickstarter hopefully next year. 
Yeah. Uh, but essentially what it is, is you've got these gears that you kind of saw. We're, we're still working on whether or not they're going to flip over or not, but they'll be, they'll be in some way, shape or form. You can like upgrade them. Um, and you're trying to create this efficient machine that produces mana because you're like an artificer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the working theme. We'll, we'll see if things change. But uh, yeah, so these all interlock and rotate and you, you produce mana and you're fulfilling these orders from like the city uh, to generate like your money and your points. And uh, you've got a certain number of rounds to create a, uh, your machine, um, but it, your machines like create exhaust. So the more you upgrade them, the, the more efficient they become and the less exhaust that you have, which is good because then you get some bonus actions if you have uh, less exhaust being produced. Um, but you can also kind of like steal exhaust from from players next to you to to uh, fill fill other orders. You can recycle the exhaust as well, which is kind of fun. I I, I got to tell you, when I was at Origins, um, you always have like a couple of things that kind of stand out in your mind, right? The EC where you're like, mm-hmm. wow, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. I, I'm not gonna forget that. This was one of those things that like I was talking about after the convention was done and I had people that saw my video live video. I, when we were talking to you guys in the, um, the media night there doing the, you know, the, the, the sneak peek and I had people commenting to me saying, Oh, that was, those are cool games, man. That one with the gears. Is that ever a cool idea? <laughs> so I think you guys are going to do really well with that. So is that the next game you guys are coming with, or do you have something before that or. That's the next one. Yeah. That's the next one. So how do people follow your, their, this journey? Like, do you guys have, like, obviously you have your mail list. Can they jump on your current mail list or do you have, is it social media best way to follow you guys or how best do people follow you guys? Yeah. So we're uh, uh, at soft S O P H C E R B uh, on all social media. So we're on primarily Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we technically have a TikTok. We haven't posted anything and we have Twitch, but we live stream occasionally, not often, but at SoftServe is probably the main way, but you can also visit sophisticatedserverus.com. Um, we have links to all of our stuff there, uh, whether it's our website, Kickstarter page, pre-order store, mailing list, all that fun stuff. Oh, amazing. I'm also going to put in the show notes links to your Kickstarter page, and I'll put a link to your website as well so people can easily find you. Uh, gentlemen, I want to wish you all the best in this coming year. Uh, man, this campaign, you've got to just be on cloud nine. You guys just knocked it out of the park. I want to congratulate you on that. It was such a massive, massive achievement that you did. And if this is what you're doing on your first game, I can't wait to see where you guys land on your second one. Thanks for having Thank us. You. No worries, Thank guys. You. you take care. Cheers. You too. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. 